the Fantasy Football Welcome to the Fantasy Football Beat, the podcast that will never let your team die in darkness. I am Mike Hume. Hi, I'm Des Beeler, and my dream of an undefeated fantasy season didn't just die. Mm. It had its spine ripped out, Mortal Kombat style, (laughs) (laughs) by John Romero's squad. Romero, who writes our fantasy preview every Friday. Congratulations to him and to Todd Gurley, who led Romero's squad and countless others to fantasy glory this weekend. Just not mine. I'm Jeff Dooley, and I do want to congratulate Des on a, a, an unbelievable undefeated run. I've never seen something quite that impressive, impressive <laughs> during the fantasy regular season Thank you. Um, and into the playoffs. So not the a perfect ending you wanted. Uh, shades of, what was it, the 2007 Seven. Patriots? Yeah. Yep. Uh, almost perfection. You and Randy Moss have that in say, common. But, but now, Des, you have something in common with Tom Brady. So you guys are basically yes. like BFFs now, right? Yes, as a Jets fan, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that from you. Thank you. <laughs> Rub it in. Well, as Des indicated, if you had Todd Gurley on your roster for Week 16, the Fantasy Football Championship round, you probably went home with a title. That got us thinking about this week's big idea as we wrap up our season. The big idea. Get him off your team. Drop him now. He could be the surprise of the 2017 season. That guy is a walking ACL team. Oh, yeah. He's a major sleeper. All right. As we conclude this season of fantasy football, we wanted to pay homage to the players that really brought home the titles for our title-winning teams, as well as those who have sustained a lot of those teams during the regular season. So the big idea this week, we're going to look at some MVPs and least valuable players but we got to start with Todd Gurley, I imagine, just based off two incredible weeks in the fantasy football playoffs. We had Neil Greenberg look at it today for the on the WashingtonPost.com. Todd Gurley put up more points in weeks 15 and 16, the fantasy football playoffs, than any NFL player in history. So if you were playing fantasy football from the dawn of the NFL on, you have never seen anything like what Todd Gurley just did. In those two weeks or in any two weeks? In those two weeks. Yeah, in 15 and 16. 15 16. Right. And he wasn't too shabby in in week 14 either. No. I mean, he scored well over 20 points. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if you take those three weeks, you still have the most... Uh, fantasy points scored during the fantasy playoffs, the traditional playoffs, weeks 14 through 16. Mm-hmm. I know some listeners, especially in ESPN leagues, we were just talking about it before the podcast, they do a two-week final that encompasses week 16 and 17. Boo, uh, our apologies. Boo, yeah, boo. <laughs> I think y- you should try to convince your league to end in week 16 because we'll talk about some of the situations later on that, that are affecting week 17. But uh, in the fantasy playoffs, I mean, he scored way more points than anyone ever. Um, I believe uh, in PPR formats, he had 123.1 points. The next best ever was Ladanian Tomlinson in 2003 with 115. So well, well more oh. than that, you know. And, and we're going to get into some of the MVPs by position. I mean, to me, he's the no-brainer MVP for running back, and almost certainly, and assuredly, the MVP for fantasy in general. I mean, that seems right to me, Jeff. You agree? I, I do. I mean, he, he was unbelievable. Um, I wish Dez hadn't convinced me to trade him during one of these podcasts uh, at mid-season. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, got yeah, a pretty I, good deal for him, but still. Uh, oh, yeah, I, he was a buyer beware for a while. He had a tough stretch coming up. Uh, the way sorry he, uh, he came down the stretch sort of uh, uh, d- did not uh, <laughs> did not reflect well upon that advice. The only other name I'm going to throw out here, and this is more of a value issue of sort of like where you could have gotten uh, this player versus getting Gurley, uh, you know, I drafted him in the second round. That's typically where he was going in most leagues. Uh, 
Alvin Kamara, I'll make the case for him. Uh, number 46 running back in ADP, uh, currently third among running backs in PPR scoring. Obviously, he's a guy you could have gotten uh, later uh, from week six on post-Saints bye week, uh, post-Adrian Peterson era yeah, yeah. in New Orleans. Uh, he has just been unbelievable. So I'm not going to argue with the Todd Gurley pick, but uh, I would say a close uh, close second for me would be Alvin Kamara. And if you drafted him late uh, and were and hung on to him or maybe picked him up, uh, early season, like a lot of a lot of teams did, uh, he really uh, helped carry your uh, fantasy football team this year. Yeah, I, I agree that as we go through the sort of MVP and LVP candidates, draft position will factor in a little bit, or or it could be among those those factors. And you definitely got a good deal on Kamara. I mean, to me, that's also partly why Gurley is in fact the MVP because he wasn't a first round pick in almost in almost right. any league. Right. You know, he was drafted somewhere in the sixteen to twenty two range in the Washington Post league. He went twentieth overall, which means that more than half the owners in the league passed on him twice. So, right. you know, so when you got him, you got tremendous value. And as things stand right now, and we'll see if he plays in Week 17, probably not, I would guess, he's 41.7 points ahead of the number 2 scorer overall in fantasy, Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he's just head and shoulders above the pack. Right. It, what I actually liked uh, after his Week 16 performance, Gurley took to Twitter and said, you're welcome, fa- fantasy football owners. Now please leave us alone. Like <laughs> yeah. We talked about it on the podcast. Fantasy owners have a habit of tweeting at disappointing players Gurley's 2016 season certainly fit that bill yep a little nice uh, yeah he, he took a, for him there he took a lot of flack last year for a disappointing season and, and there was a famous a semi-famous incident on Twitter where somebody tweeted at him like I just want to punch you in the face or whatever and he just tweeted back pull up then nice <laughs> yeah just call him out so you know he called yeah, don't out. do that yeah, yeah that's a <laughs> terrible idea <laughs> exactly yes I don't think that tweeter actually did in fact pull up that's probably for the best. All right, well, let's get into some of our position-by-position position MVP and LVPs. We talked about Gurley. Jeff talked about Alvin Kamara. I'll throw out another one for running back MVP, and that's Kareem Hunt, right? He got quiet after the Chiefs buy a little bit because he had such a huge start, and I think that gets a little bit lost in the, uh, in the fact that Gurley did close so well and Kamara really came on in the second half. But Kareem Hunt was RB18 off the board and going in round four. So he might have been your second running back. And if you hit on your first first running back, you probably had your league title uh, locked up heading into the playoffs. So twice this season, he had games by himself where he could have won single-handedly for you. He had 45 points week one, 39 in week 15, again, fantasy football playoff time. And he topped 20 or more points for additional weeks. I mean, there was only one real clunker, and that was – Week 12 when he had nine, uh, against the Bills, so, which is weird because they're such a terrible run defense. So I think Kareem Hunt's in that conversation. I still give the edge to Gurley because he clearly won one year league if you had him and you were in the playoffs. Yeah, Hunt got it back together. He was, kind of, he was pretty sketchy from weeks 8 through 13, but 14 through 16, when you want him to be good, he was right there. So uh, just, he would have been a more deserving candidate in a lot of other years, but there's just no way not to, not to give the nod to Gurley. He was definitely a league winner in a lot of cases, particularly if you drafted him, say, in like the eighth round before the Spencer Ware injury when it was sort of looking like a timeshare. Uh, he was starting to go creep up into the third round. Uh, but even there was a, an amazing value over the course of the season. So he, he's definitely on the list, but uh, I think this was Todd Gurley's year. All right, let's keep it at running back and look at the flip side of the coin. Least valuable players. Des, let's start with you. I'm going to nominate Jay Ajayi. Uh, Seconded. You know, I, I'm as guilty as anybody of overrating him. I had him as a uh, sort of end-of-the-first-round type guy, yeah. uh, late first-round candidate. I thought he would get a ton of touches for the Dolphins and do well with them. 
Uh, he did get a lot of touches, did not do well with them. But, you know, he was generally drafted in sort of that 13 to 15 range, so owners were spending a, a premium pick on him. And at the moment, he's 31st among running backs in PPR. I mean, his best game was just 14.6 PPR points. Yuck. And that was his first game. So Ugh. it was all downhill from there. And, and the thing about Ajayi is that, you know, I'm thinking of guys who were, like, in the lineup more often than not. Like, anyone can be a bust. Anyone can get injured or just fall off a cliff. But then those real busts tend to, like, fall out of your lineup pretty quickly. So they do a limited amount of damage. Ajayi, to me, is somebody who was probably started in week after week after week by his owners because, you, you know, you drafted him that high early, and then you kind of kept playing him right. for a while. That sunk cost. Yeah, and then maybe sort of when, when you realize the wheels are starting to fall off, then he gets traded to the Eagles, <laughs> and the hope springs anew all over again, and he has kind of a good start for the Eagles, so then he's back in starting lineups. And part of what happened when he got traded to the Eagles was that gave him a second bye week. Yeah. <laughs> so he probably was the only fantasy-relevant player who actually had two bye weeks, so that's another strike against him, so... Uh, yeah, I got to go with Ajayi for uh, for LVP. All right, so uh, along those lines, let's talk about DeMarco Murray, another lingerer. Like, he, he's never quite bad enough that you can banish him to the bench and feel good about it. Yep. But he's going 10th overall in ADP at the start of the season. I mean, he was coming off a big year last year. Going in the first round, he finishes his RB18 behind guys like Jarek McKinnon, Deion Lewis, Duke Johnson, all of which went way lower in drafts. I mean, he only broke double digits once in the first five weeks, broke 20 just once all year, finished in single digits nine out of 15 weeks, and scored almost one-sixth of his season points in one week against the Bengals. That is the definition of a fantasy bust. Also, I think uh, owners of Derrick Henry would agree with your assessment of DeMarco Murray because he sort of still blocked uh, Henry's potential to to break out. You know, during the, the preseason, during our draft advice, we kept saying that the place you didn't want to be in drafts was at the end of the first round where you had the turn and you were going to have to end up with some of those maybe riskier running backs than you'd want. You know, there's probably some owners who ended up with both Jay Ajayi and DeMarco Murray at that turn. I mean, that was yes. when they were going. <laughs> and it was just a really tough place to be drafting. Uh, and two examples of, of guys who really disappointed, especially if you drafted either one ahead of Todd Gurley and had to watch that all season. Oh, that's uh, my least valuable player at the running back position, I'm going with Isaiah Crowell. Uh, he was 14th off the board in ADP among running backs. Uh, he, he currently 26th in scoring. Uh, just never, uh, never put together uh, a big game. Uh, e- even though he was still, he was getting touches uh, again. Uh, one of these guys where you might have felt inclined to start him, uh, but just did not do much with them. I almost went with. Uh, the guy I overdrafted, Marshawn Lynch, because he similarly was disappointing. But he actually evolved over the course of the season into a serviceable uh, running back, too, which I wouldn't define uh, Crowell as. So I'm putting Isaiah Crowell, least valuable uh, running back this season. Yeah, there was a lot of hype about the Browns beefing up their offensive line. And right. Crowell kind of did well last year. And he did get double-digit carries in all but two games this season. So the, the recipe was there for him to potentially not be terrible, but right. he was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the disappointing thing with all three of those guys is they had roles where they could flourish. And if they only performed three-quarters of the way as as well as they did last year, they still wouldn't have been as bad as they were this year. Let's move on to the quarterback position. Jeff, let's start with uh, your candidate out in Kansas City, one Alex Smith. Yeah, I mean, number two fantasy quarterback this season in PPR scoring. Uh, He was drafted 21st. Uh, which was just behind Jay Cutler and Mitchell Trubisky, uh, which gives you an idea of sort of what uh, the the consensus fantasy opinion was of Alex Smith, and, and with good reason. He's he's not uh, a guy you thought of as an explosive 
um, talent at the quarterback position, but that's what he had this season. 26 touchdowns to just five interceptions, uh, threw for over 4,000 yards. He did have a rough couple of games uh, interspersed in there uh, where he would have hurt your team, but overall a really strong season. Uh, some good candidates, uh, at, at other good candidates at this position. I know you guys have some, uh, but I really liked what Alex Smith did this season. And if, if you drafted him, he was probably your backup quarterback or your third quarterback, uh, could have ended up uh, being a really valuable piece for you. Yeah, I mean, I think we had a conversation on the podcast early on. I think it might have been week three or four, that whether or not Alex Smith would stay as a top 10 quarterback for the duration of the season. Not only did he stay in the top 10, he was in the top three. I mean, that is pretty pretty notable for a guy who has never made a hallmark as a big-armed passer in the NFL. Yeah, and he did it by being a little bit different than he's been in the past, by throwing downfield, and they opened up the offense a little bit, and then we saw him kind of regress to the old Alex Smith, and then we saw the Chiefs turn over play-calling duties to their offensive quarter, Matt Nagy, who then had him, I think, get be a little more, uh, encourage him to be a little bit more yeah. aggressive again, so... You know, we'll see. I think um, I think they're going to start the uh, the rookie this this week. Yes, yes. Pat Mahomes is going to get the nod. And <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. I was the rookie, <laughs> and I was looking at you with a desperation in my eyes. Yes, Pat Mahomes. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, something to look forward to as the Chiefs have nothing to play for in Week 17 again. Terrible week to play a season fantasy league. Well, my MVP. You know, we talked about Alex Smith giving a lot of value because of where he was drafted. My MVP at QB uh, also was an incredible value in that sense, and that's Carson Wentz. He went somewhere in the like 17th to 19th range among quarterbacks. He's still fourth in scoring despite missing the, the past two weeks. And, you know, I don't ding him a whole lot, you know, in terms of MVP status for his injury and not being around the fantasy playoffs because he got owners through week 14. And so he had an incredible regular season, piled up points. Uh, and then, you know, okay, so if you lost him by week 15, at that point you're one of just four teams left in the playoffs. So you really only have three other teams to worry about. You could pick up a guy, stream him, maybe you picked up Bortles. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. I don't think his injury hurt you that badly. And in the meantime, you got a guy who's tied with Russell Wilson for the highest uh, consistency rating. And I'm using ESPN Tristan Cockroft's consistency rankings yep. here. Uh, I'm going to refer to them a couple times in this podcast because they mean a lot to me because part of what's being Spoil- valuable... Spoiler alert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> part of value, though, I think is being there week in, week out for your fantasy teams. You know, we see some players who are Burma bust. We've talked about T.Y. Hilton. Mm-hmm. At the end of the season, T.Y. Hilton is probably going to finish as like a top 15 wide receiver, but none of his owners will be happy about the way that came about. Um, you know, Car- Wentz was there week in, week out. He never scored less than 13.7 points. He scored at least 24 points six times. Uh, you know, the average score that fantasy defenses gave up to the QB position is 15.7. He exceeded that in all but two of his starts. So he yeah. was an above-average fantasy quarterback all but two times this year. You can't ask for more than that. I will say, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but if you were, if you did get to the playoffs with Carson Wentz and then he, you have to put him on the bench because of the injury the last two seasons, I think that dings his MVP case just a little bit. Yeah, and I would agree with that, only in that I was one of those teams that got to the playoffs with Carson Wentz as my quarterback and couldn't start him and also was dumb enough to use up all of my fab money uh, go before the playoffs started, so I couldn't even replace him. So I played without a quarterback. <laughs> it was a bold strategy. It did not work. Right, but, I mean, in the fancy playoffs, like, I mean, Alex Smith, who we talked about, wasn't incredible. He scored 11.1 in Week 14, which is bad, 18.5, 17.5. Russell Wilson, who might be another sort of MVP right. candidate, was outright bad in weeks 15 and 16. So if you lost Carson Wentz, what I'm saying is you didn't necessarily lose 
you know, in weeks 15 and 16, you weren't necessarily like vastly outscored at the QB position. So I think the effect of losing him was, was mitigated. Yeah, it is a little bit weird how the quarterback position played out in the fantasy playoffs. You had a couple guys like Blake Bortles, Jared Goff, yeah, who Flac- really went Flacco off. Flacco was yeah. good in the playoffs. You know, Garoppolo was there. So, yeah, some unusual names really stepped to the forefront among QBs. Well, well Des uh, mentioned my candidate already, and that's Russell Wilson. I mean, he led the quarterback position in fantasy points with 327.5. He was the only quarterback to top 300. I mean, in five games only, he was under 19 points. That's insane. And, and then he only had one week in single digits. So, again, like Des was mentioning, the consistency element there, super high. He never bottomed out and really cost you a week. I mean, and, and I think the only reason not to like him is, is what Jeff mentioned, that uh, he, he didn't play particularly well. Or actually, I think it was Des. He didn't play particularly well in the uh, fantasy playoffs. But, again, he got you there, and he did so as the highest-rated quarterback after being – uh, drafted far lower than Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, who we will get to momentarily. So let's talk about the downside. Jeff, who you got as your least valuable quarterback? Least valuable quarterback, I'm going with Matt Ryan. Uh, he was obviously the NFL's MVP last season, uh, had a phenomenal season, probably should have won a Super Bowl with the Falcons. Um he, he was number three drafted quarterback in ADP this year. He's currently 15th in scoring, uh, only 19 touchdowns to 12 interceptions, zero three-touchdown games uh, this season, only five two-touchdown games so far. Uh, so just a big step down overall in the productivity of that passing offense. Uh, you, you know, we talked about it. Um, a lot in the preseason, and the events of this season are not going to change my viewpoint. I doubt they'll change yours either. You know, taking a quarterback early, uh, just the value proposition isn't there. Obviously, you can't anticipate an Aaron Rodgers injury necessarily, but it was a bad year for the the quarterbacks at the very top of the list. Matt Ryan was an obvious regression candidate yeah. coming yep. off of his his uh, obviously best uh, season in 2016. Uh, so he was a bit of a flop this year. If you drafted him, did not get the return on investment. Yeah, he's he's my LVP candidate as well. But for the sake of diversity, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna nominate Dak Prescott, um, who you know was drafted sort of six to eleven. He was six in scoring among QBs last year. He was sort of drafted in the second half of the QB one range. You know, and if you look at his overall numbers, they're not terrible. He's tenth this year in scoring, twelfth in per game scoring among QBs with at least seven starts. Um, but it's sort of the way he got there. He was QB four through week nine. And then we had the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, and the Cowboys' offense just fell off a cliff. And I think Prescott was exposed a little bit, you know, as someone who maybe just wasn't that great. Between weeks 10 and 15, he was the QB 22. So sort of down the stretch, you know, you'd had this great start. So teams, mm-hmm. so on, I mean, we're talking about players who were in lineups a lot. I mean, at that point, you'd be hard-pressed to bench Prescott because he'd been, he'd been so good in the first half of the season. And then he was just terrible. I mean, he was worse in that stretch than guys like Brett Hundley and Mitch Trubisky from a, from a fancy standpoint. And then if you somehow got to week 16, Elliott's back, and maybe you're thinking, oh, okay, Prescott's going to be, you know, we're going to get the good Dak Prescott again. He had his worst game of the season, 5.3 points at home against the Seahawks. So, And as far as I can tell at ESPN, he still has the ninth highest start percentage, so still in a lot of lineups there. Yeah, uh, to, to play off of uh, what Jeff mentioned earlier, I was just looking this up. So we advocated during our draft special that you really wanted to wait on quarterback, and that really played out, and I think uh, we've hit a number of examples. But So five of the top ten scoring quarterbacks this year had average draft positions of round ten or later. I mean, you really could get value, and that's why I think it's really, really bad and uh, why my least valuable 
candidate for quarterback is Drew Brees, and that's because he was going as the third quarterback off the board. You're taking Drew Brees at a position where you could be getting somebody along the lines of, I don't know, uh, Todd Gurley or maybe round four, you could have gotten a Kareem Hunt. You're talking about guys who put up 200-point seasons at uh, more valuable positions. And then you have Drew Brees. He was never terrible, but he did finish ninth among quarterbacks in scoring, and he was drafted to be the third-best quarterback. So my problem with him is that he topped out with a 22-point bonanza in Week 2, but he never had that Drew Brees game where he put up like 30 and won a week for you by himself. So he never crushed you. But when you could basically replace him, even up with Blake Bortles or Matt Stafford or Phillip Rivers, that's not worth that early round investment. And that's why I think you, you, we were right in that we said wait on the quarterback till round 10-ish. That was the appropriate range for him. And I think Drew Brees sort of is the, uh, the guy that proves that rule. And goodness knows we were wrong about enough players in the, in the preseason. We'll, we'll, <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll get to that. But he, he was one I think we correctly identified. It's just you read the tea leaves. The Saints were investing in the offensive line. At the running back position, not that we anticipated Alvin Kamara being one of the best players in the, in, in the entire NFL. Or the Ingram, for that matter. Ball. That's right. right. Mark Ingram had a great uh, great season as well uh, and a great fantasy season. But, the, uh, yeah, they, but they he, had the, the signs were there, right? Brandon Cooks mm-hmm. was traded uh, that they weren't going to be the, the throw-heavy team, and the defense got better, so they were able to sort of take the ball out of Drew Brees' hands a little bit. Uh, better for the NFL uh, team, the Saints, not better for your fantasy football team if Drew Brees is your quarterback. Absolutely. All right, moving on to the wide receiver position, the much maligned DeAndre Hopkins. Des, that's your candidate for MVP. Well, he was much maligned last year. Exactly. Not a yes. lot of maligning this year. No, yes. Much, much praising this All year. Right. No, the stars have aligned for DeAndre Hopkins, uh, who, again, we go to the, um, the value a little bit. I mean, he, he was drafted in most leagues after pick 25, so in the, somewhere in the third round, maybe right. early in the third round, but still, like two full rounds in most drafts went by before this guy went off the board. Lots of wide receivers taken ahead of him, and now he's barely behind Antonio Brown in wide receiver scoring, and that's in PPR formats. If he plays it all this week, He'll pass to Antonio Brown and be the top-scoring wide receiver. And again, super, and, he's, and it's a huge gap to him and the next guy. Like Keenan Allen in PPR formats is 60 points behind him in the number three spot. So wow. way ahead of the pack. And again, in terms of consistency, uh, he's alone at the top of, of Cockcroft's consistency ratings. Scored below double digits just once, and that was 9.9. Yeah. Uh, okay, so. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So he gave you week in, week out, he gave you performance. And he's done it with, you know, fine, he had Deshaun Watson for a lot of the year, but then he didn't. And he still got it done with Tom Savage, TJ Yates. Sort of a reminder that in 2015, when he had his monster season, it was the same thing. It didn't matter right. who the quarterback right. was, and that's so valuable. You know, at that, that year, he had Yates, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, Brandon Whedon throwing him the ball, so. I guess shout-out to Brock Osweiler for holding Hopkins back last year. That took a, a lot of doing. And then, of course, in the fantasy playoffs, he went bonkers against 49ers in Week 14. But then in Week 15 at Jacksonville, about as tough as I And we've talked about that ad yep. nauseum, how yep. tough it is. He scored 18 points at Jacksonville in Week 15. So a huge game there. Finished with 16.5 against the Steelers. Really led his teams down the stretch, which, which you love to see. I'm going to go with Tyreek Hill uh, at the wide receiver position for my MVP. Uh, he's one, uh, frankly, I missed on in the preseason. I, I was just sort of worried about his boom or bust potential. He did have a, f- a handful of sort of dud games, um, which was sort of the concern, but he just made up for it with such uh, such impressive performances. Uh, he was the number 20 wide receiver drafted, uh, currently number six in scoring. 
Uh, so just great overall value. The other guy I'll mention is Keenan Allen, uh, who was the wide receiver 14 off the board, uh, currently third in PPR scoring behind only uh, Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins. So both of those guys, huge years. Um, and I think Tyreek Hill established himself. He's, you know, he's a fantasy stud moving forward uh, heading into his third season. So I, I think any time that you can get a top 10 player to position uh, after the 100th pick in a draft, you've done pretty well. So that's why Adam Thielen, to me, is the clear MVP at pick. the wide receiver position. 227-plus uh, points. Finished ahead of A.J. Green, ahead of Mike Evans, ahead of Des Bryant. And we're talking, you got him in the hundreds. I mean, that is terrific value. You probably had another, hopefully, stud wide receiver in that mix. So we're talking about real gravy. I think when we finally see the dust settle and we see the players that are on some of these championship rosters, we're going to see Thielen on a number of them, even if he didn't have quite the strong fantasy football playoffs uh, over the last couple uh, couple of weeks here. Well, that's one way to put it. He had a pretty lousy fantasy playoff. So okay, I think, I, think he, it a little. I think you have to ding him for that. He scored in uh, below seven points in both weeks 15 and 16, and he scored in single digits, uh, let's see, in weeks two, uh, and this is a PPR, 2, 4, 5, 7, uh, 13. So, you know, he, he was consistent in terms of catching the ball, but didn't always put up the huge numbers. But I agree, you know, he was an excellent wide receiver, too, for most of the season. So you obviously got tremendous value. Yeah, and as overall, I guess you mentioned the uh, consistency factor. He did finish in the top 10. So pretty strong pick for the late rounds. All right, let us talk about the less fortunate at the receiver position and Dez. There might not be a single draft pick more unfortunate than Amari Cooper. Yeah, I mean, I'm going pretty chalky with my uh, picks here. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, obvious MVP at wide receiver, top scorer. And then for LVP, I mean, Amari Cooper. How could it not be Amari Cooper? He was drafted somewhere in the early second round in most fantasy leagues uh, as, you know, somewhere between the sixth and eighth wide receiver off the board. So a high pick. He's currently 42nd in scoring among wide receivers. He's not even the close to being the highest scoring Cooper. Cooper Cup is 24th. <laughs> Who would have predicted that? You know, and, and Certainly not Mike calling him Connor Cup all <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Connor had a very strong season. Thank you very much. You know, he, he missed a few games with ankle and concussion issues, so you know, we can't necessarily fault him out of that. But again, consistency ranks. He's dead last out of 61 wide receivers. He scored in double digits just five times, more than 11.8 points in PPR formats just three times. So he's been lousy much more often than not. Remember, he had that crazy, he had that one crazy one game, 44-point yeah. outing in Week 7. So what happened was, and again, you know, we're talking about guys who were in lineups way too often. If you drafted him high, you obviously played him a lot to start the season, and then he went through a stretch where he was really revoltingly bad, like, like, like one catch for seven yards, like three weeks in a row. So just when you thought, okay, I have got to get Amari Cooper out of my life, then he has this massive game in Week 7, right back in your lineups and right back being, to being terrible again. Yeah. So a real anchor around the necks of his fantasy owners. Really bizarre season for that Raiders offense. Uh, I think everyone was expecting a lot better there. Uh, my, uh, my least valuable player at the wide receiver position, Jordy Nelson, uh, went number five among wide receivers, uh, currently number 43 in scoring, uh, just behind the aforementioned Amari Cooper, so even worse uh, <laughs> over the full course of the season. Obviously, yeah. the Aaron Rodgers injury uh, was was a big blow to Nelson's value, uh, but I'm not going to give him a total pass there because Devontae Adams is still the 11th uh, fantasy scoring wide receiver in PPR leagues this year. Yep. Nelson had zero games of 80-plus yards all season long and no touchdowns after the first five weeks. Uh, he had six in those first five weeks when Aaron Rodgers was still in the lineup. So uh, just totally created his value 
uh, really uh, just you, you couldn't have him in your lineup by the end of the season. And, and he was a high pick. He was high, picked higher, I think, on average than oh, Amari yeah. Cooper was. He was a late first round in a lot of PPR formats. Yeah. Are, are we positive that Brett Hundley knew Jordy Nelson was actually on the team? Like, do, are we confident that he knew he was on the roster? We we have no evidence to suggest he did. Let's report that out and get back to you. All right. Well, I don't really have a, to any any candidates that. Trump those two. I mean, Cooper and Nelson were pretty dismal. I will say that uh, in Neil Greenberg's analysis of uh, draft value, uh, Martavis Bryant ha- gets, deserves an honorable mention. He was drafted in the fourth round, put up uh, 120 points, which is 42 fewer than you could have gotten from an average starter at the wide receiver position. Pretty big disappointment there when we thought we had a, a, a big season coming from the Steelers offense and did from Roethlisberger, Bell, and Antonio Brown, as well as Juju Smith-Schuster. Bryant, apparently it was a chemistry thing. I don't know. It, it never worked out. Yeah, I mean, Smith-Schuster basically took his job. Yeah. So, you know, you can't do much worse than that. I thought you were going to go with Des Bryant as disappointing Bryant because he, he also was a, was he was a, a big rough, uh, a rough second-round pick for yeah, a lot of guys. That's a good point. Ben. He's up there. Honorable mention also Terrell Pryor. We hardly knew ye. Never really stood much of a chance. That was uh, a swing and miss for a number of people who drafted Terrell. All right, final position group at tight end. Jeff, why don't you get us started with a rookie who, I mean, rookie tight ends never do anything, right? Right? Yeah, that's what we were telling you uh, in the preseason. <laughs> uh, but this guy, Evan Engram for the Giants, did well. He also benefited uh, from the, the magnitude of injuries, a uh, multitude of injuries, uh, to the Giants' pass-catching group. Uh, Engram was, was drafted as the tight end 12. Uh, he's currently fourth in PPR scoring among tight ends. 64 catches for 722 yards and six touchdowns. He also had a four-game stretch. Uh, in the middle part of the season where he had a touchdown in each game, so really consistent in that regard. Uh, you know, in, in a tough season for tight ends in the fantasy space, uh, Engerman was a solid pickup. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was kind of a coin flip for me between him and uh, my guy Zach Ertz. I mean, Engram obviously delivered more value he, in terms of his draft position. I mean, I'm I, I'm surprised even here to, if that's true that he was tight end twelve. I feel like he might have been picked later than that in a lot of leagues, but because I think Ertz, Ertz himself was like generally picked in the nine to eleventh range. Right. Um, then you had some guys after him, but he was uh, just super consistent. You know, I, I agree. Engram did a lot of good things. I just give the nod to Ertz because he was such a rock for his owners. Missed two games, and so, you know, you have to factor that in. But he scored double digits in all but two of the games that he did start. Uh, he finished uh, third, I think, at the position behind Kelsey and Gronk, who obviously went much higher than him in drafts. First in the all-important consistency <laughs> rankings that I'm going to keep mentioning. Uh, you know, and just and also read one article for <laughs> no, preparation for this podcast. Well, I also looked at some stats, but I did. I did look at that. Well, because it's I think it's imp- it's an important factor. And then in weeks fifteen and sixteen, Ertz finished in the top five both weeks, so really delivered in the fancy playoffs. Uh, he did miss week fourteen. It must be mentioned, but if you survive that, then you got good things out of him. Yeah, what really stood out to me this season at the tight end position it was it was a two tier uh, position. You had the top three. You had Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, and Zach Ertz. And they finished basically uh, at the 200-point threshold or above that in Kelsey and Gronkowski's case. Then you have everything else. Des is getting violent over there just thinking about this. Uh, but Zach Ertz, 198 points. Uh, and Ingram is the next closest at 173. And it's for that reason that I think Rob Gronkowski deserves a look here. I mean, it's, it's sort of an obvious pick because it's Gronk. But, I mean, he missed a game, so he probably would have finished ahead of Kelsey or certainly closer to him uh, uh, had he not been suspended for that absolutely moronic hit. But 
you usually assume that Gronkowski is going to miss multiple games at a season due to injury. He's going to be a Jordan Reed type who misses that time, and he didn't. And I think for that reason, if you drafted Gronkowski in the early rounds for a change, you weren't burned, and that that alone uh, warrants some consideration there. He was a lot healthier than uh, we would have expected necessarily for those who thought, you know, oh, it's the injury-prone Gronk. He was in lineups much more often than not and was dominant down the stretch. Yeah, for my least valuable player at tight end, I'm going to go with Eric Ebron. Uh, honestly, I had a hard time picking one here. The, there weren't a ton of obvious uh, choices uh, to me. Um, he only slightly underperformed his draft position. He, he, was, he went as the tight end eight. Uh, he's currently 11th in PPR. Uh, he rebounded a little bit the last two games. He's had a touchdown in each of the last two. So I guess if, if you were willing to start him in the fantasy playoffs, and I don't know why you would have been based on how he played leading up to it, but if you did start him, he came through for you there. But before that, just two touchdowns all season. And just a guy who was a, a former top-10 pick just never really uh, fulfilled his p- potential on the NFL field or as a fantasy football asset. So I, I went with Eric Ebron, least valuable tight end. Yeah, he was a candidate for me as well. Uh, because you know people are going to come out of the season with a pretty good feeling about him. He was actually the top-scoring tight end in the fantasy playoffs. Uh, before that, he was just such a dud. He was 21st among tight ends through 13 weeks, uh, was the tight end 31 through week 9, so it was just Ugh. a complete disaster, was out of most lineups, so maybe people picked him up late and, and got something out of him. I agree. It's kind of tough to pick a LVP at tight end because it's just such a sketchy position. And who are you going to? I mean, who are you going to ding? Jared Cook for not being as good as he maybe should have been. I don't know. For that reason, I went with Hunter Henry. He was drafted as sort of a lower end tight end one. And he's finished twelfth in scoring, so he's kind of giving you what you wanted. But you don't like the way you got there. Um, you know, he, he put up bagels in two of the first three weeks, so that probably freaked out a lot of owners. And it's again, it just sort of goes to the thing where it's like, should I start him? Should I not start him? You know, he was really sketchy through the first three weeks. Then he kind of right of the ship. Then he was terrible again in, in weeks uh, 8 through uh, 11. Then he was kind of okay again. Then he was terrible again in, in week 15. Then he was out of your line. So, I don't know. you got to pick somebody. I think if you had Hunter Henry, you probably played him most weeks and was weren't thrilled with what you got. Yeah, I mean, you've both said it. The, the tight end position was just, it was sort of a hot mess. You could throw a blanket over everybody after Evan Ingram. I mean, start with Delaney Walker at like the 170-point threshold, and I think you get down about 12 or 14 spots before you really get past like a 40-point a differential. Uh, so there's just not a lot to differentiate these guys. So And, and a shout-out to Jordan Reed also, oh, absolutely. Who, was, who was a high pick of tight end who gave you nothing. Yeah, he, I, even before he got injured, he wasn't doing that great. And that's, I, I guess, if you incorporate the injured players, where you, you say, all right, Jordan, Jordan Reed, Greg Olson, another one, uh, that's where you really see the disappointments from the draft. Uh, but you know, when we're talking about least valuable players, we're talking more about the guys who are going to disappoint you on a week-in, week-out basis and torture you like DeMarco Murray did. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I just had a couple of head scratchers. One, Martellus Bennett. I mean, you play with two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and you never break double digits. That was surprising to me. But, I mean, no one was really hyping him up. So, again, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there were high hopes for him based on, yeah, where, where he landed both times. So, yeah, I agree. Very disappointing season for him. All right, well, that will wrap up our superlative conversation. Uh, daily fantasy still very much an issue for Week 17. So, as we move on, Keep that in mind. We will focus on daily picks. Value picks. So we mentioned it a little bit earlier. Week 17, you're going to have a bunch of teams that don't have anything to play for, uh, whereas others would be playing for their postseason lives. So with that in mind, let's get into our value picks. Des, kick us off. Well, I'm going to have to throw out a couple names here because 
Uh, there have been some late developments that have affected a couple of my value picks. I was going to mention Chris Godwin, uh, the Bucks wide receiver who filled in so nicely for Deshaun Jackson last weekend and I think has a pretty good matchup against the Saints given that Marshawn Latimer is surely going to be draped all over Mike Evans and wants revenge for that previous game they had oh, where yeah. Evans gave him that huge shove and then got suspended. However, it appears that Deshaun Jackson is back at practice. I thought they might just like leave him out for the rest of the season because really the Bucks have nothing to play for, so why not give the rookie some run? So just keep an eye on that. If they decide to deactivate D-Jax, I like Godwin a lot. My second choice was going to be Brandon Oliver based on the notion that Melvin Gordon might also make, miss Week 17 with what had looked like a high ankle sprain. He's saying he'll play. If he does, then never mind. But if he doesn't, I like Brandon Oliver to get a lot of work there. And, uh, you know, to be a pop, probably something like a top 20 fantasy running back. I hope you're all taking notes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Failing all that, uh, I'm going to throw out one last name, Alex Collins versus the Bengals. That's the Ravens running back. You know, we'll get into some of these playoff situations, but the Ravens have everything to play for to get into the fantasy playoffs. The, uh, the Bengals look pretty good last NFL week. NFL playoffs. Yeah. Yes, the NFL playoffs. Thank you. Uh, the Bengals looked pretty good last week, but I think that was kind of their Super Bowl. That was their last home game. They're sending off Marvin Lewis. I think they, they looked like a team before that that was ready to pack it in. And we've seen Alex Collins look really terrific in, in certain spots this year. So I think this is a good chance for him to really rack up the yardage. Did you say a team was already packing it in? I believe I did. I, I present to you the New York Giants. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my value pick this week, Samaji P. Ryan, the Redskins running back. Uh, he had one big game early on. It hasn't been great since, but uh, one, Washington does seem to be rallying around this idea of finishing at 500. They're 7-8 and eight right now. A win over the hapless Giants on the road would get them to 8-8. Eight and eight. Clearly the Giants' defense, when they're not accusing each other of being uh, a cancer in the clubhouse, um, it has not gone well for them this season. They're in the running for the number two overall pick, uh, the Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold sweepstakes. So uh, not expecting a big performance out of them. They've also allowed uh, the, the third most rushing yards to opposing running backs over the course of the season. So I think P. Ryan could be a strong, uh, a strong play if you're in the unfortunate position of being in the championship in Week 17 or if you're playing uh, some daily leagues. All right, so my pick will be a much more straightforward daily fantasy pick. Doug Baldwin is surprisingly low-priced, according to DraftKings right now. He's, uh, I don't have the exact ranking in front of me, but he's only about $6,400, I think, is the, what it comes in at. Yeah, that's pretty affordable. That's very affordable, and you have a bunch of higher-priced guys who are going to be picked uh, to more rosters, you would think, ahead of him. But, I mean, the Seahawks are playing for their postseason lives. We don't think that Patrick Peterson is going to be on him uh, in coverage. To right. me— That's a big factor. Yeah, in, and we all know, if we've learned anything on this podcast all season long, it's that the Seahawks have no running game whatsoever. So somebody's going to have to score. It's probably going to be a combination of Wilson and Baldwin, who, again, put up a big, big day against the Jaguars. If you can do it against the Jaguars, you can probably do it against the Cardinals. Fire beware. 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 Well, we've been harping on this week 17 factor all all show long. And the reason for that is because there will be a number of teams with very high profile players who figured prominently into this fantasy season who might play for a few series and may not finish the game, or they might not play at all. So, Jeff, why don't you run us through some of the teams that are locked into their playoff position and uh, who might have some star players that might not be as potent as they usually are in Week 17. Yeah, uh, we'll start with Jacksonville. They're playing at Tennessee. They're locked into the three seed uh, in the AFC playoffs, so that they, don't have, uh, they can't gain anything by winning, uh, so they're one to keep an eye on. Uh, another one, the Rams uh, in 
they're hosting the Niners this week. Uh, they will not get a first round buy, uh, so they're and they're already guaranteed a home game. So it's basically do they end up with the three seed or the four seed? Uh, so they don't have a ton of incentive. And it sounds like Sean McVay is saying he he will rest some guys. So um, uh, look out for that one. Uh, one other one to keep an eye on is the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, hosting the Dallas Cowboys, they are now locked into the top overall seed, uh, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So, and if you saw um, them last week, you don't want any part of that Eagles offense anyway. <laughs> Ooh, yeesh. One other team, uh, Des mentioned it before, uh, Patrick Mahomes will get the start. So if you have Alex Smith, uh, don't use him, obviously, because he's not going to be playing. Uh, I would assume the same will apply for Kareem Hunt as well. as number. The Chiefs are sort of notorious for resting their regular season starters for the playoffs. Yeah, For the Jaguars, uh, their coach, Doug Marone, is saying he has no plans to rest his starters. Uh, Vegas doesn't seem to be taking that very seriously. They have the Titans installed as a favorite, which you wouldn't normally see in the normal course of events. And there's a good chance that the Jaguars, if the Titans get into the playoffs, they could be playing them again in the first round of the playoffs. So I don't think the Jags have a ton of incentive to play their starters or even to do a lot offensively. Uh, you know, so that that's a team to you know watch out for, uh, and of course that puts some of the the Titans on the spot as well. Uh, you know, in terms of like playing a team that may not have a ton to play for, but the Titans have a lot to play for. It also leads me to a player that I think is a bit of a buyer beware: Philip Rivers for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. The Chargers also have to are in a win, but you're not quite in situation. They need help, and some of the help they need is from the Titans. And if they're doing some scoreboard watching during the game, and the Titans are up big at like halftime. Maybe the Chargers kind of fold up the tent a little bit in the second half. So if you're thinking of playing Philip Rivers, thinking, okay, the Chargers are going to be all systems go, I might exercise some cautions there. Plus, he's only th- he's kind of fallen off a little bit. He's only thrown five TDs over the past four games. And against you think, oh, they're playing the Raiders. That's a great matchup. But the Raiders have only given up two TDs uh, to quarterbacks over their past four games. So they've tightened up their pass defense considerably. Teams that have quite a bit to play for, the Saints playing at the Bucks. They're still uh, fighting for the NFC, t- uh, NFC South title uh, and a home playoff game. Same for the Panthers, who can move all the way up uh, potentially to the number two seed if Minnesota were to loss. Uh, so uh, both them and the Vikings have a lot to play for. Uh, so, so keep an eye on those uh, those situations as the weeks unfold. Well, considering this is the end of the regular season, there's not much to look ahead to with what to watch for. So uh, that segment will come back to you next season. We will come back to you next week for our final show of the year. We will hold ourselves accountable for some of the big ideas that may not have panned out and take credit for those that did. In the meantime, you can read some of our season review content on thewashingtonpost.com. And always give us a shout on Twitter. I'm at Mike Hume Post. I'm at Des Beeler. I'm at Jeff Dooley underscore. Thanks for listening. See ya!